0: Outside looking in, I, I thought there was something missing for movement to differentiate in the long term. And that was a, an identity for the brand that, for me, was, was aspirational. And so when I came in, the first thing I did was I sat down and said, oh, OK, if we're going to be really good at this Instagram thing that just launched, we're going to need to, one, be aspirational, two, be inspirational. And it's got to be consistent. Right, and At the time, we only had men's products. And so we sat down, me, Jake, Spencer. We thought about what are the facets of a lifestyle that we want to live? What is the type of person that we want to hang out with? Who do we want to dress like? Right. And now, how do
1: we now package that all into one identity? A lot of people don't even know what events manager scores are diving into those and and things of how much data is getting pushed back into Facebook for you to optimize off of. Most people, they look at like their page view events uh, they're usually sitting at like, you know, 20 to 25% of their page view events are pushed back into Facebook. Uh, I feel like sometimes you can lose the bal like when people retarget, you can you lose the balance in an account. So if you're retargeting to like at a three and a half row as people just keep raising those budgets and raising those budgets, but you also have to realize you're burning the funnel too. You're burnt like it's like it's just like when you run a sale and you know you burn the funnel out and then you gotta rebuild the funnel. It's the same thing.
2: So on today's episode, we have not just one elite marketer, but two elite marketers with deep expertise on advertising in the meta advertising platform. And they're here to shed light on what's working now. It's a great episode. You don't want to miss if you're selling direct to consumer and you're looking to scale through performance marketing.
1: This is the 2x e-commerce podcast. Hosted by
2: Kunle Campbell. So on today's episode of the 2X e-commerce podcast, we have the pleasure of welcoming two accomplished experts in the field of media buying at scale for eight to nine figure brands, primarily on the Meta platform, Blake Pinsker and Tory Rao. With a wealth of experience under their belts, they have worked with renowned brands like Movement Watches, Cots, Liquid 4, Manscaped, and Mansion Jewelry. Their expertise and insights have propelled these brands to new heights in the ever evolving world of e commerce. When I was pre recording this episode with Blake and Tori, they mentioned something that stuck with me, which was that they want to burst the, the myth that meta ads do not work. They went further on to say that the reasons social advertising, um, you know, media buying, will not or may not be working are down to two main reasons. First, um, there's probably an inadequate product market fit. And second is marketers are losing a lot of event event data, up to 80% on on a meta-advertising platform, which um, they they seem to solve. So, why should you listen to this episode? First, you're going to get in um, some secrets of powerhouse brands. They share insights into strategies and success stories in in top brands, particularly movement watches, and and they speak a bit about Cots and and, and Manscaped. But the movement watches insights are quite insightful. Um, second, you're going to to understand the importance of like crafting brand bibles for creative excellence. So we speak strongly about the, the need to have um you know brand bibles that dictate the kind of creatives you put out on social media or, or social advertising. Third is mastering the art of creatives. So we delve into the winning formulas on, on how to create captivating ad content and how they test compelling hooks, messages, and um copy points in a direct response advertising. Um, the, the, we also talk about like the the, the app stack um and their view on the most just the must-have tools and technologies in, in 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 social you know media buying now, particularly on the Meta platform. And finally, I think which is most important, you're just going to decode what's working. Just staying up to date with the latest trend strategies um, that driving results at scale for the brands that they work with. Um, so they gave a lot of insight. So if you're looking to to essentially get a scoop on how to go about just smarter media buying on meta then pay attention and so without further ado let's get started let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back want to improve your e-commerce customer experience with the power of ai tidio the highest rated live chat app on shopify has you covered with tidio ai powered chatbots and live chat You can automate up to 73% of recurring questions, providing excellent customer support while creating a personalized shopping recommendation that increases your conversion rate. Tidio not only resolves tickets, but also creates sales opportunities, making it a must have for e-commerce operators. With dozens of e-commerce tool integrations and the ability to manage all communication channels in one dashboard, Tidio simplifies your customer interactions. And with the Tidio Plus plan, you get a dedicated customer success manager to help you unlock the full potential of Tidio's features. Join over 300,000 businesses in revolutionizing your customer experience with Tidio. Head to tidio.com slash 2x for a special offer and try Tidio for free today. Hey, Blake. Hey, Tori. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast.
1: Nice hey, to meet thanks you for having us. us.
2: I've I've been, yeah, I've been looking forward to, to this one. Um, I read both your resumes and I was like, okay, um, we haven't done a media buying, particularly a paid social episode in a long time. And here's the reason why we need to do it now, right now. Um, so so a pleasure having, you know, you both. Um, where are you each dialing in from?
1: Uh, I'm in Denver, Colorado.
2: <laughs> okay, that's Tory.
1: I'm in New York.
2: I'm uh, Blake. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um so who do I start with? I probably probably will start with with Blake. Um Blake, please give me your genesis story and how it sort of connects to um to, to what you're doing now. Um to 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 j- just connect the the dots <laughs> as far back or as near as, as you can. I just like to get some context as to who who you are, like who you are.
0: Sure thing, I'll, I'll give you a brief overview of my journey. Mm-hmm. So my journey started actually back in college, I became insanely passionate about consumer behavior, marketing and branding. And that was around the, the start of the e-commerce wave. And I actually tried to start a few companies, failed miserably, pre-Facebook ads, pre-influencer marketing. And I decided to get a real job in real estate. And so there in real estate, I quickly discovered that I didn't care about doing real estate because I I was more passionate about marketing. And so um, I started working on the side for a little known company called Movement right after they had crowdfunded. I was the first employee at a company called Movement. Right place, right time. Uh, Movement obviously caught that that e-commerce tidal wave. My sole responsibilities there were were mainly running social media. I was also, when I came in, the first thing I did was, was built the brand identity and content strategy for movement. Mm -hmm. Once we started to tinker with paid ads on Facebook, our lives changed forever. We became an early advertiser on Facebook. I think some of our biggest days, we were spending upwards of, of 3 million on paid ads, paid ads on a variety of channels. Yeah, it was crazy, crazy times. And we learned the ins and outs, we learned what what works and what doesn't on you know everything from Facebook. We built a huge influencer marketing channel. We were we were working with thousands of influencers a year. We we scaled TV, we scaled, obviously, we're running Google ads. TikTok wasn't really around yet, but we were starting to dive into that once TikTok did did come out. Uh, but the backbone of the business was really meta ads. Hmm. And we scaled the company from zero to a hundred million in five years, which it went by in the, in the blink of an eye. Uh, but that around that time, I really wanted to share what we learned with other people that I knew. And I, I went to college with uh, the founder of, of cuts clothing, my, my good friend, Steven. So started to work with him and advise him at an early stage. And obviously cuts turns into a huge success story. We we're also close with other brands such as Liquid IV, Manscaped, Truff. And we saw those brands start to blow up, really following the same playbook and the same strategies. Mm-hmm. And so after we'd sold the company and decided my next move was to take that playbook and rinse and repeat what we did at movement. And so now we're working with startups, um, anywhere from people who are just starting to eight figure brands that we're trying to get to nine figures now. And so um, our main Core competencies at Dream Labs are paid ads. We do media buying for all paid social channels and then also do creating. And I'll let uh, Tori.
2: Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Dreamland. Uh, D- D- Dreamland. Yeah. Tori, please go for it.
1: Yeah, I'm the, I'm the exact opposite of Blake here. Blake was, uh, you know, making hundred million dollar companies and I was fighting crime as a police officer for, uh, four and a half nice. years. So, uh, yeah, so I, I was a police officer, uh, in Arizona for four and a half years. And, you know, after a few years, I kind of realized like, I didn't have the passion to do this for 30 years. Uh, mm. just long time wasn't for me and, you know, wanted to kind of like keep expanding, keep learning and things like that. So my best friend and I, for us, uh, in 2017, ended up founding a company called Mansion. Uh, it's men's premium jewelry. Uh, we took that company zero to eight figures in three years. Uh, along the way, we needed someone to run social media ads, and uh, we didn't have anyone to do that. And it was quite expensive. And me just quitting my job as a police officer, uh, we didn't, you know, have a bunch of money. We weren't. Uh, we were bootstrapped there. So. I put myself back in college uh, and went to YouTube university uh, and ended up watching YouTube videos uh, every day and trying to figure out how to do this from some of the, some of the top guys out there. Uh, and then I started looking at jobs on Indeed. Uh, so I was looking on Indeed before remote work was really like remote. Uh, I started reaching out to people who needed media buyers and I'd say, Hey, I'll do this for uh 30% of the cost. If I can do it from Denver, Colorado. And a lot of mm-hmm. people were like, yeah, we'll take it. So it gave me the opportunity to, jump into other companies, um, and learn using their dollars, uh, while I was getting paid to, to figure out how to build our brand. Um, so hmm. along that way I met Blake uh, as we needed someone to do creative for mansion. And, you know, Blake's name was the guy who kept popping up of like, you got to talk to this guy, you got to talk to him. Uh, and I was like, all right. So we, we started working with Blake, uh, and along that way, Blake, uh, had a media buyer who was doing our media buying at the time. And Blake was like, hey, listen, you're one of the best media buyers I know. Like, he's like, I'm going to be honest. You're probably better than the guy who's running your ads. You should probably just run these ads. And I was like, oh, sweet. I appreciate that. Save me some dollars. Um, And so I started running ads. And so since then, I've ran ads for some of the largest companies in the world. Uh, ADT, Clover, some of the largest solar companies in the world, largest credit Mm -hmm. card processing companies. I've, I've spent close to half a billion on Meta. Uh, and now I'm the, the head of growth over here at uh, Dream Labs.
2: Okay, okay, makes makes sense. Illustrious, you know, um, backstories and an experience, essentially an experience. So just so I get it right, Tori, you handle media buying, you know, that structure, and then Blake, your your brand guy, C- creative. Oh,
0: I'm, a, I'm a brand guy at heart.
2: Don't get me wrong.
0: I I love brand, built, built the movement, brand identity, Mm -hmm. content strategy, the the real backbone of what you see on organic social for movement. Mm -hmm. However, as we know, brand is, is a long game. Brand is how you position, how you differentiate in a market, but you don't necessarily see results overnight. And as an agency, I want to see results immediately. If you're investing in us as an agency I wanna be able to one, prove that our work is going to good use, and we're we're making you a return on your investment. And two, I just wanna be able to measure what we're doing, right? And with brand, you often can't. And so although brand is my backbone, I know the the backbone of what really drives sales, at least in the short term for businesses, is paid ads. And so that's that's where we focus. Obviously at Movement, I have my hands on a little bit of everything. Um, mm-hmm. Including paid creative and paid ads, I, you know. Before we brought it in house, I managed our paid team, so so I know paid extremely well. Um, and and at Movement, I had the the gift of being able to really learn the ins and outs of paid acquisition as well. So as an agency, that's where we wanted to focus because we felt like that's that's where people were most impacted. Um, and I want to play that game rather than the one where we do a bunch of work and we can't really show you proof if it's working or not.
2: It mm, mm, mm. makes, makes a lot of sense. So, so it's, it's taken really still a, a brand led approach to, towards, um, you know, your, your performance to, to, towards actually getting returns to, to, to what you do.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think so, it's so, like all, everything we do is very direct response focus.
2: Okay. Very direct response. Okay.
0: Everything is direct response. We understand brand. So I think mm. that's the difference also between other agencies where we, I've worked yeah. with a lot of paid creative agencies, and paid media buying agencies. If they don't understand brand, there's oftentimes conflict in your heads. We're still going to produce creative that we know is going to convert, often very direct response focus. However, we understand that you as brand owner or you as a CMO or, or director of brand, that's your baby. So when you have guidelines or when you have a spectrum of styles of content or the tone of voice that we can and can't speak on. We try to do our best to follow within those lines and we get it. Right. We're not we're not going to fight you over something that's subjective that you feel very strongly about with your brand. So I think that's the big difference is we we get brand, but we're still trying to really drive sales at the end of the day with direct response creative.
2: I got it. I, I, yeah, I really, really we really get that. And and I i I like that um, very much so because um they are the parameters you need to sort of operate within for brand um even if you apply to 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 performance or direct response. Mm-hmm. question I have is what have been the essentials from a brand perspective that um that makes it very much ready prepared for scale on the direct response end, particularly in, in digital channels such as Meta, what do your best clients do really well from a brand perspective um, to, to, to get your work to, mm-hmm. to really deliver the, the ROI they, they seek?
0: Yeah, so, so I'll split those two out and then I'll let Tori share his insights as well. So mm-hmm. from a brand perspective, I think brand is one. Are, are you communicating with a large enough or, or niche enough target market, where the way you're speaking is, is resonating with them. The way you're carrying the brand, the, the identity of the brand, does it resonate with that market, right? Can you build a com- community on the backbone of that? That's, that's what brand is in its core. And I think any DDC company needs to be focused on having that, otherwise you can't differentiate in the market and the second a competitor pops up with a similar product or tries to sell something for cheaper, you're going to be knocked off. Uh, I think a good example of this is Athletic Greens. There's a hundred different products that are selling a very similar thing to Athletic Greens, but nobody branded it as well as Athletic Greens. And that's why they own the market. Even though there's a hundred different products, just like Athletic Greens that you can go get at Whole Foods, you can buy on Amazon, but a lot of people just want Athletic Greens because that brand experience, right? The way they make you feel. Mm -hmm. Um, However, when it comes to, to actual direct response marketing and athletic greens when, when they're advertising on Facebook, how they're really driving people to the site. It's, it's largely through good direct response marketing. And that's everything from high, high end content. That's super product focused to UGC. And so that's where we focus. That, that's a, that is what's working best on the platform right now. It's a handful of, um, creative mi- in the creative mix, different brands see different stuff work, which we'll maybe dive into a little bit later in the call. Um, But I'll I'll let Tori share
1: some context on what he feels as well. Yeah. I think kind of hit the nail on the head. I think the biggest thing for brand is like how you make people feel. Um, I think a lot of companies can, can get someone to buy one time, Uh, a lot of, a lot of good websites out there and stuff like that. But like when you first get that packaging and you unwrap it, of like how that makes you feel or like, you know, when you get a a t t-shirt or when you're, you know, you get a brand new watch or necklace or whatever, that the way you carry yourself and how it makes you feel, that's what I feel like brand is. And I feel like brand is a huge retention effort as well. A lot of people have that first time good purchase, but like you ever had that, that package you're so excited for and you unwrap it and it just not what you expected. You're so disappointed. You're like, gosh, this is terrible. Like I was so excited for that. That's the other side of the coin of that lack of brand, that lack of feeling that you were looking for. Um, Sometimes the product's kind of what you expected, but the rest of it, the packaging, the thank you note, all that little extra stuff is what really like solidifies, like Blake said, when that next competitor does come around, uh, do I stick with this brand? Like we said earlier, like cuts clothing you know, they make you feel like this is the nicest t-shirt out there. There's a lot of t-shirt companies, but Borelli and the team over there has done such a good job of like, you get it and you're like, wow, this is worth the money. This is what I expected. Uh, and mm-hmm. if not beyond what I expected, and this is why I'm going to continue to come back to them.
2: Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey 2 I want to take a moment to talk about a service that has made a significant impact on product launches for e-commerce brands. It's called Tred. Tred first hit the market in early 2020 and has since become the go-to financing option for over 500 brands, including big names like Rosum. In just one sentence, Tread can be described as the ultimate solution for purchasing inventory, allowing retailers to sell first and pay suppliers later. As an e-commerce brand owner myself, I can't emphasize enough how helpful Tred has been for our business. Their unsecured funding and credit model, which takes into account the current financial health of a business, has allowed us to access financing without worrying about collateral. We've improved our cash flow by avoiding upfront supplier payments and freeing up funds. This has enabled us to invest in larger orders, expand our product range, and even negotiate supplier discounts. And let me tell you, the flexibility is amazing. Tred offers a pay-as-you-go model with a flat and transparent fee, which means you only use it when you need to. No hidden cost or long-term commitments, just a simple and effective way to manage our inventory financing. The best part, Tred works independently of e-commerce platforms and requires minimal onboarding. It doesn't matter if you're a founder, CEO, CFO, or part of the finance team. Tred can be a game changer for your business. With taglines like sell first, pay suppliers later, and snooze your supplier invoices with Tread, it's clear that Tread is all about empowering businesses like ours to import the goods we need now while handling the invoice and allowing us to pay up to 120 days later. So if you're in the e-commerce space and looking for a smart, flexible financing solution, I highly recommend giving Tread a try. Visit their website on T-R-E-Y-D I-O. That's T-R-E-Y-D I-O to learn more and get started today. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah. 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 I was, I was, I was, I was, I had a rant, um, about a service I was delivering with my, um, with my co-founder this morning. I'm not going to mention the, the service. And uh, I just said, um, it, the, the reason I use the service essentially is just out of convenience. Um, because I'm, I'm out in the countryside in the UK, There are not many of those of that particular service, but their service is crap. So the moment a competitor comes, I'll be the first to try. Um, that competitor in order to just, you know, let go of this crap service I know I'm getting. And it's the same thing with, with D2C experiences. And I cannot um um you know um I I I, I cannot disagree with you um I- enough on, on the point you just made about the that brand experience you said brand is a retention effort. It it's how it makes you feel to, to trigger another sort of, you know, purchase, which, which is brilliant. Speaking on brand, because I'm, I'm very brand first, we're very brand first in this company, so in, in this podcast, sorry, so um, we'll talk a lot of our brand. Um, this is a question to you, Blake. Um, what was the process like? Two questions. What was the process like building out the brand identity for, for movement? So a lot for movement watches, That there were lots of moving parts at the time there were the army of influencers you said you know you had thousands of influencers who were working with you on on on, on an annual basis and then there was the brand itself how how mm-hmm. did you get that tone tone of voice that core that soul i i i i equate brand to to giving to breathing soul to yeah. to 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 something to 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 a concept that people start to 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 feel um and then yeah i I'll, I'll, yeah those are the, the questions sure. have.
0: Sure. Yeah. So, so I had the luxury of coming on the movement right after their Kickstarter campaign. So, so I started as an outsider. I watched that whole campaign go down. I, I, I grew up with Jake, the founder. So I knew Jake extremely well. Outside looking in, I, I thought there was something missing for movement to differentiate in the long term. And that was a, an identity for the brand that for me was, was aspirational. And so when I came in, the first thing I did was I sat down and said, oh, okay, if we're going to be really good at this Instagram thing that just launched, we're going to need to, one, be aspirational, two, be inspirational. and It's got to be consistent, right? And at the time, we only had men's products. And so we sat down, me, Jake, Spencer, we thought about what are the facets of a lifestyle that we want to live? What is the type of person that we want to hang out with. Who do we want to dress like? Right. And now how do we now package that all into one identity? And so we built that identity one based on what was trending on Instagram. We, we noticed that a lot of people our age, they they wanted to travel and they were inspired by travel. Right. And what's, what's the one thing that you take with you everywhere you go, your, your watch. Right. And so We made travel a big part of the brand. We made uh, chasing your dreams and, and working hard and hustling hard a big part of the brand. We made good fashion a big part of the brand, right? And so that was really the backbone of what we built. We started with a brand Bible where we went over, here's the tone of voice, here's how we speak, here's how we don't speak. Here are the types of people we work with in terms of influencers and creators. Mm -hmm. Here are the um, different facets of the brand, whether it be adventure, hustle, fashion, here are all the components. Um, And then we obviously built out personas too, right? And so we knew no matter who we hired or how big the team got, how big the company got, we could always refer back to this Bible or this document Mm -hmm. where we could say, listen, everybody's going to have their own opinion, but this is movement. This is this is the movement voice and this is the movement brand and that's what allows you to keep a consistent brand that people can become familiar with, a consistent brand that, that can make people feel a certain way, and that that seemed to work uh, quite well. Um, we mm-hmm. built, I think, we went from obviously zero to a few million followers on just Instagram um, or or Instagram and, and other platforms. We had over five million, pla- excuse me, five million followers on, on channels cumulatively. Um, and that was largely built off just sharing content that, that people really enjoyed at the time. I think times have changed a little bit in terms of like what, what content is hitting now. I think uh, people want to see behind the brand a little bit more, the, the people mm-hmm. behind the brand with Instagram mm-hmm. stories and channels like that. And so we started to lean into that more too um, at the end of my time there.
2: Super, super, super insightful. Thanks for, for sharing that. Um, so now at Dream Labs, do you mandate um, all your clients to have a, a, a brand Bible or, or do you assist them to, towards, you know, um, finalizing or rounding up their, you know, missing elements in their brand Bible so yeah. you can advertise effectively or buy media for them effectively?
0: It's a, it's a great question. So a lot of the brands we've invested in, that's one of the things we help them with at an early stage if they have not already established hmm. that. We show Mm -hmm. them examples and we we kind of walk them through the steps of, hey, here's how you set the the identity of the brand at an early stage. So no no matter who you hire or what partners you work with, they will understand how to see the brand through your lens. And so Mm -hmm. one of the first things we ask for, no matter who we work with, is if they already have one of those. Some Mm -hmm. brands, they want that help and they want to build it. Others don't. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. sometimes what we do end up, Um, helping people with we help them write their first value prop Mm. we help establish that tone of voice Mm. we identify who their target market is so some of those those things within that process um, we're certainly helping with uh people with some are more hands-on than others and uh yeah that's that's definitely a big part of what we do especially on the creative side
2: Yeah. 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 Makes, makes a a, a ton of sense. I like the, the fact that you you assist, you know, them to, 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 to watch you really getting that, um, you know, that core, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff there. Okay. So big question, big, big question is we're in 2023 today. Now, how does mid media buying, particularly on meta compared to like the pre-covid days covid was crazy over the pandemic obviously um consumer behavior had to shift it was forced to shift and so people were seeing crazy results in you know 20 was it 2019 2020 i forget the time but prior to to the pandemic um facebook was pretty reliable there was um, no ios update. Um, So so how, how's the landscape sort of changed? You guys have been around, you know, the block for, for a bit of time, how, how you, and how you adapt into, to the changes in, in meta, particularly from, um, a data, um, perspective, which is the baseline for performance marketing, right? Customer data.
1: Yeah, I would, I would say, so pre-pandemic, it was kind of like, So it was basically, we had a couple updates. We had iOS 14.5 and iOS 16.4, which actually came out this year. Both had like a tremendous impact on the media buying landscape. Pre-pandemic, it was all about just like, it was basically put as much money in you can, like as you can into the platform. As long as you had like a good business structure, uh, you basically would come out profitable for the most part. Uh, It wasn't about like account structure and things like that interest-based targeting look-alikes. Like it felt like whatever you would do, it would work on the platform. And you were just like, some things would work more than others, but everything worked to some degree. Uh, and now I think there's a few things that have changed. Consumer behavior has changed. Even like, so during the pandemic, I think everyone got you know, more accustomed to having to shop online. And during that time, they also got more accustomed to the ads and getting hit with ads everywhere you go from emails to, you know, every social media platform, everywhere you look, there's advertising now. So I think Meta's also like internally slowed down of like, hey, we can't just deliver this all the time, like as many uh, purchases we used to, because people aren't purchasing at the frequency they were before. Uh, and there's too many advertisers now, like there's way too many people there. If they were delivering those results for everyone, they'd run out of that people. Like, there's just not that, uh, you know, degree of purchases that people used to do. Um, and the next thing is, is you have to be way more consolidated and way more data driven than you ever were before. And that comes from like retention all the way to like, uh, creative iterations. And so now like you can't just go out there and pump into, you know, 25 interest based audiences and think you're going to have massive success with like a carousel ad or a single image ad. A lot of this is like, hey, this worked as creative A. How can we take creative A and make it into creative A1, A2, A3, A4 and make iterations? That's something our creative teams great at it uh, on our side. So it's so much more about the creatives now than it ever was before. And it's so much more about the account structure, the testing structure. Uh, and there's a lot of little things uh, like, you know, seven day click versus one day click. Uh, the events mm-hmm. manager scores on the back and There's so much more data, but holistically as well. Meta is trying to make it easier for, you know, the average person who wants to come in and spend $100 a day, make it easier for them mm-hmm. to be able to set up a campaign. So I think they're they're starting to take away the audiences and things like that. So to answer it after this long-winded answer, I think the majority of it is it comes down now to more account structure, um, apps apps on top of that and like you know tech stacks and then creative iterations and creative uh improvements.
2: Thank you, Tori. Thank you for the insights there. Now um just to follow on on, on that um on 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 that really detailed answer what is an ideal account structure and what, what what horror stories have you had with account structures <laughs> yeah. when you inherit a, yeah. <laughs> an account, you know? Um, yeah. I'd like to really know that.
1: Yeah. We all, we all laugh at you saying, you know, the horror stories because we've all seen those accounts. Um, it's, <laughs> It's different. The structure at every level has to change a little bit, um, and we tell our clients this all the time. What gets someone from, you know, five figures to six figures a day, and six to seven figures a year, and seven to eight, eight to nine, those those all change, and the business structure changes. And I think something that Blake and I both are really good at, since we both come from our own companies, is we understand the holistic view. Uh, so we understand that Meta is going to drive a lot of things. So the account structure isn't necessarily like, Hey, this is the, like people look at it and be like, Hey, this might not be, I guess like you like, for example, a subscription business is going to run different than a non-subscription business. We might break even row as Y for a subscription for mass customer acquisition compared to maybe a one-time purchase, like a couch or a rug or something like that. So everything's kind of different structure-wise, but I can tell you across the board, they're all consolidated. You cannot have this massive interest-based targeting across the entire account. We have companies come into us spending, you know, eight figures a year, and they just have, you know, 10,000 plus ads that are running like every 30, 60 days, because they're all about this creative testing. So it's you want a creative test, but everything's about like spend allocation and account structure and keeping things consolidated. People have to realize it's it's a giant algorithm on the back end that's trying to learn, and the more you throw at this algorithm, the more difficult it becomes for it to get the desired results that you want to achieve.
2: Hmm. Hmm. And what are your thoughts on like the the Advantage Plus structure um, account simplification Facebook has been pushing since 2018? It, it seems to be getting simpler. Um, should, should people pay attention to, to that, you know, a lot. And then you also mentioned, um, you know, just the attribution window, one click versus, you know, seven days. And then there's view counts to the, the views to, 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 factor into, into that. Um, yeah, would love your thoughts, please.
1: Yeah. So ASC is an interesting one. And I think everyone's still kind of learning about advantage shopping. Um, so I've worked with the beta team directly at Facebook on the, these campaigns, which is kind of cool. So I get mm-hmm. some insight. What we've kind of ended up realizing is ASC is basically retargeting now. Um, Whether people think it is or not, it's a different algorithm that is basically retargeting. This comes directly from Meta themselves. And so one thing is ASC has always been one of our best performers in most of our accounts. But there needs to be this um, direct correlation between still running your interest-based audiences or your broad audiences with creative testing, and then having an ASC campaign. I've yet to get to an account that just singly like single structure ASC campaign only. It's usually like we have an ABO one-day click setup. Uh, and we're doing some creative testing and scaling those. And then we have an ASC on the side. They might run 50-50 or 70-30 uh, top of funnel to the ASC campaign. Uh, but that's kind of what we've seen work best for us. And then everybody's messing with this existing bus, uh, existing customer budget cap as well, from 0% to 30%, et cetera. I feel like it's changed on every uh, campaign I've done, but I can tell you the best performer for us, and I recommend to everyone is, your Klaviyo customers or whoever your ESP is, we directly tie in all of our customers to the back end. And you'd be mm-hmm. shocked like how many companies don't even have an audience tied into that. Yeah, we get into a true. lot of accounts yeah. and they don't even have an audience tied into the ASC. And that's the whole point of it is to leverage your your customer base from an external source to continue mm-hmm. to improve, which is not just the pixel.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts on lookalikes? Um, so, so based on like, like that customer core, for instance, um, Back in the days, again, you'd have lookalikes based on your top on CLV. You know, Facebook yep. had a you know feature for that. You could target like look if you had the data, lookalikes of your top one thousand customers, and Facebook would spit out um, you know lookalikes, and they 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 would work. You know, you do one percent to ten percent in different sort of ad sets and and all of that stuff. Um, so, so how how re- how reliable are lookalike audiences now on on Facebook? Or, or meta
1: yeah so this is a hit or miss because so i feel like lookalikes are still there especially like that mid-range level mm. like those those companies sit right around seven figures that mid-range it feels like they still work but they don't have the scale capacity mm. that they used to have so you might be able to get some good fast purchases out of a lookalike audience but it seems like they fail pretty quickly after that they don't optimize like they used to and a lot of that is because if the lookalikes, uh, a pixel based with Facebook, we know that a lot of those pixels aren't getting the data that they used to get, uh, since iOS mm-hmm. 14.5. So there's not as many events and stuff coming in to fire those. So you need like this massive amount of data, which costs some people too much money for their customer acquisition cost. They don't have the, you know, the margin in there to be able to spend, uh, to make those lookalikes profitable. So, they can be there, but I, they're not the scale that they used to be. Where, like, a, like you said, a one percent, a three percent, five percent, things like that. I do think they still work. I actually know they still work because I, I also use them in lead generation, and I can tell you that mm-hmm. the lookalikes in lead generation have a higher sales percentage than interest based. I know this is e-commerce, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that the quality can still be there, uh, but it's just not at this massive scale that you're going to find with a broad-based audience.
2: Mm. Interesting. Now this question I'm about to ask um is, is 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 towards both of you, Blake Blake and Tory, Um and it has to do with the fact that you you mentioned the importance of of um testing um across the board, particularly within campaigns. And the one bit of um one bit of the entire system of, you know, the the account management system you you, you, you mentioned was um obviously creative testing. Question is: Are there other critical testing points, like media buyers or, or brand owners or operators listening to this episode, should be um, you know um, should, should just pay attention to one? And within the creative testing, what wh- what are you doing? Is it like you're saying, okay, the first three seconds, let's change it. Um, this transition, let's change. How where where is the detail in in creative testing, or do you just swap? Complete creatives, you know, a, a way knowing that one has worked. Okay, we leave that. You create a slight variation. So, what are your variation points to understand that? Um, you know, there, there, there is um, there are gains to have efficiency gains to have. Sorry, another sort of hamburger question. Just bolted up with question and question.
0: Tori actually just made a few videos on this topic, so I'll let him
1: take the mic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Let's
1: do it. Yeah, you're good. So like, that's probably our bread and butter uh, over here at Dream Labs. Like this is what we do best, I feel like, is media buying and creative have to work closer and closer together than ever before. And I think that's like what we do really well. So with creative testing, you have your testing campaigns and everything is graduating up. We know that like graduating to your scale campaigns. Uh, That's kind of how we run things. But yeah, basically what we're going to do is we're going to come back and analyze your top two, three, four performing creatives. And we're going to go back to our team, which is Blake and the guys. And we're going to say, hey, listen, you know, this is what we're looking at this video or this image performed best. We need remixes or iterations of this. There's a lot of ways to, to dice this up. Uh, this can be the thumb stop ratio, which is three second video views divided by impressions. So that's how many people stopped while scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and actually watch that video for three seconds. If that's low, let's say 15% of people are stopped and watching it, that's going to be the creative focus for us right now. We're going to come in and say, hey, we mm-hmm. want to try to get this to 30 to 50% because it's just like you, you analyze your funnel top down. We do the exact same thing from the creative standpoint from front to back. We have to analyze it, trying to fix the click through rate in the middle or get new UVPs in there. It's not going to work if only 15% of the people are stopping. We need to get a higher percentage Mm -hmm. of people to stop. And so that's kind of how we do things. I'll let Blake kind of go into kind of how they break that down on the creative side and what those changes might be and things like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. To Tori's point, a lot of it is iteration will come in and they have a a home run ad, but we'll notice that the thumb stop or the click through rate is low. And so we don't wanna try to reinvent the wheel in this case. We wanna first try to improve the performance of something that's already winning. And so we'll chop that up. Let's say at first they show um, someone face the camera. Well, maybe we try the product in somebody's hand first, or we try a better hook where we have a text-to-speech app or we have that creator give a, a hook that's gonna get people to stop in the feed better than him just diving straight into a testimonial, right, mm-hmm. him or her. So that, that's that's definitely one way. The other things we're doing over here that we're finding a lot of success with is we often will start with a messaging test. you know, Whether it be us or the brand, there's often difference of opinion on what messages are gonna hit. And we could sit here in a meeting and talk all day about what we think is best or what our opinion is. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And oftentimes, what everybody thinks is going to be the winner isn't. And so we don't even waste time. We say, okay, let's let's put ten messages on paper. Let's use the same creative. Roll this out over those those ten. Um, roll those ten messages out over the same creative, and just see which one performs the best. Let's see which one has the highest click through rate. And that will then give us an idea of of where we want to focus a lot of the copy and the messaging in the future. So um, those are some of the things we do on our end. Another thing that we do as well is we make, let's say, like a UGC or or testimonial type video modular. We'll we'll write out a batch of of hooks. We'll write the the middle, a few different bodies, and then we'll write the end. And depending on how those metrics are adding up, We'll then reslice that ad to continue to try to iterate and improve on what may have been the best the best version of that. And that mm. seems to work really well for Facebook. And you get more bang for your buck. You spend all this money to create the creative. You might as well try to make it better and better um, just so you see a bigger return on your investment.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt to to, to run nine variations side by side. So my takeaway from that is you're probably on an ABO um, set up rather than a CBO because with CBO you're, you're restricted, right? The one ABO. Yeah. Is 100%. is that the case? Sorry, DCA, the dynamic, dynamic creative ads that allow you upload, you know, a ton of creatives in there and very difficult to track performance. Yeah. So, so, so are, are, are your ads, are your ads set up manually or, or not?
1: Yeah. So I usually do ABO setups. So like if we're going to, for example, let's say Blake's doing that messaging test. We take those 10 10 images Mm -hmm. with the 10 headlines. I might set that into one uh, ABO with enough budget behind it just because we're not measuring for ROAS. We're measuring for click-through rate on that one. We're trying to see, okay, which which one's actually getting the most clicks here. Uh, So that's one way. But if we're doing like normal testing, I might take, you know, Blake might give me, you know, three to four variations of one type of ad. We'll put all of those inside of one AVO or one ad set and continue to kind of do that. And then we'll just graduate via post IED up to our our main scale campaigns.
2: Okay. Makes makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Um, Then exclusions and, and prospecting i was going to ask you this earlier on a, but it skipped my mind um so with top of funnel prospecting campaigns um where you're you're essentially trying to get um new eyeballs new impressions um what what what's your what's your structure like is is it still is there some element of retargeting there or um do you just purely focus on on new eyeballs
1: Yeah, I I don't do any exclusions. I don't do any retargeting directly or anything like that. ASC, we know, like we said earlier, kind of already does that retargeting. So if that's living inside of it, uh, it'll be there. But for the most part, everything is just a broad based audience. Uh, Even if it is an interest based, it's it's extremely broad. We're trying to get the largest audiences Mm -hmm. out there. And we focus on creative testing. Uh, the only time okay. we really start busting out audiences is like when we're really trying to horizontally scale a client. Um, It's mm-hmm. super difficult to spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars on a single ad set, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in a day. So we'll start busting out other audiences to try to, you know, capture more okay.
2: eyeballs. Okay. So zooming into creatives again, creatives testing. Um, the the do people still read ad text? How how relevant is ad text? Well, what about the headline? And the description, um, do you pay attention to to, to to all those elements or is it really just the creatives, the, the video, the, the video content or the image content?
1: Yeah, I think the ad copy still comes in play a little bit, but you're, mm-hmm. you have, more bang for your buck testing creatives faster. Like what's going to make a bigger difference, the ad copy or the image, the image a hundred times over because you know, mm-hmm. that's what's going to be seen. So for us at Dream Labs, we can move fast enough that we're just busting out new images and new videos all the time, new iterations. We'd rather focus on that. But yeah, if we have like a really big top winner that we just can't seem to be, we might go test ad copy on that. But for the most mm-hmm. part, yeah, it's just always going to be about the creative.
2: Mm-hmm. One of the biggest challenges for, for for brands is just their ability to be content creators, you know. So the ability to deliver creatives as fast as the agencies want them to. So with working with Dreamlabs, is 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 it a completely hands off? Thing with from a creative, you know, um, standpoint. Obviously, they they've given you a brand bible, um, you know, that they've given you initial creatives they they've had. Um, you you have your your do's and don'ts from a tone of voice perspective and messaging perspective. So you just you just take it and and go with it, or um, is it still a collaboration with with the brand owners?
0: Yeah. So so content, as you know, is a, is a never ending flywheel, and so what we don't do is content specifically for other channels outside of paid. We have we've, we've shot TV ads, we've shot social content. But we've actually stopped that just because it it had been a bit of a distraction from what we were trying to do on the paid side of things. And so mm-hmm. we're solely focusing on paid creative, and we do everything from high end content shot on a red camera to UGC shot on an iPhone. And we'll really just go all in on whatever's working the best. Continue to test new things like 80, 80% what's working, 20% trying new things. But we're really just trying to get a feel for what's working in the account. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of brands we notice they're still creating a lot of creative on their end. And that mm-hmm. for us is is great because that's more we can add to our arsenal. And so it's typically, it's typically pretty collaborative. Um, some brands, they don't, Do creative on their end. And so we'll do the the load of it. We could do 360, everything like I said, but a lot of them still want to create that content for their site and for the socials that we might not be creating. And so um, we end up using that and remixing that for our ads as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, it's it's a little bit of both. Typically, it's a lot of creative just because of the sheer amount of uh, content that these brands need to create for Mm -hmm. their. Daily channels and their daily marketing, anyways, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's a mix. It depends on the package and, and who we're working with.
2: Okay, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense, makes So so the the consensus here is it's really it really should be optimized for for collaboration rather than you know silos.
0: Yeah, I think, okay. I think silo when it comes to creative, especially when you're the more minds you can have giving new ideas, the more inspiration mm-hmm. you could source from other people. Uh, Mm. I know know you want to talk a little bit about AI today, but it's almost like, you know, would you rather have AI where AI is pulling data from multiple sources to come up and generate answers for you? And that's where collaboration, I think, really benefits you. Because I Mm -hmm. only see X amount of ads. I only get so much inspiration. I only have a certain amount of ideas. But now when we bring a whole team into that and their team, we all have different set of eyes, and I think that really helps the end product when we're able to have all of our minds put together to build this this one machine to to create all the creative that we're creating.
2: Uh, I I love all this. You 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 speaking my language. Um and um there was there was something I I wanted to mention. You know when you talked about the brand bible at MMVMT or Movement Watches, which which really was um, more around the fact that, you know. This, this your brand bible are systems they 're a set of systems essentially um, and a lot of brand owners don 't don 't appreciate that um, and once you understand that um, it, the, the systems actually set the tone for for many other you know, um sorry my my flash no just dropped. For for many, 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 many other um activities such as performance marketing, whether you're gonna even be doing you know, TV advertising, whatever, it's it's that baseline right. system, you know. Um so I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, you yeah,
0: you can't you can't expect anybody to be a mind reader, whether it's a new employee or a third party partner, an agency, you can't expect someone to read your mind or your vision mm-hmm. on what the brand should be like. Right. And Mm -hmm. and the ultimate goal for everybody is to delegate and move on or even move out for some people. Right. And so if you ultimately want to delegate and you want other people to think like you, like you said, you have to set up those processes in order for that to happen. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you're going to be let down time and time again.
2: Absolutely. 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 So going to AI, <laughs> um, yeah, we we can't not have a conversation about media buying in 2023 and not you know um, speak about the, the the 800 pound gorilla in the room, which is AI. Um, how has um, AI, gen- more specifically generative, you know, um, AI? How has AI impacted the way you, um, particularly? um approach creatives, that 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 yeah. that last mile. Yes. I'd just love to know.
0: I'll touch on that. So so we're fortunate to have a creative team who is obsessed with learning about AI. And so they're they're using and constantly experimenting with Chat GPT and some of the other platforms out there to one, generate copy, generate hooks and what it really does is it allows you to have a, a laundry list of hooks. You could ask ChatGPT to write you 100 hooks, and you then as the human are the, the filter for that, right? So a lot of that we're still adjusting, we're still toying with to make that end product, but it's giving us a list of ideas, which could take, could have taken us hours previously, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not mm-hmm. necessarily writing any of the final hooks messages or copy points or scripts but it's giving us a a long list of ideas to pick from which we may not have thought of on our own and so Mm. there's a lot of awesome stuff there now on the actual creative or video or photo side of things this is good timing because we we actually experimented with something new yesterday that seems to be doing pretty well in in one of our accounts um Mm -hmm. you know i credit one of our editors he He's absolutely brilliant. Um, and he delivered the, the recent folder of creatives, which um, he initially just had images to work with. And he wanted to make some videos out of these images. And so he used an AI software to essentially turn these images into animations. Mm-hmm. And those seem to be performing quite well, uh, at least out of the gates. So, um, yeah, some really cool stuff there. I don't think it's long before we see AI actually editing full videos for us and in, in doing some of the, the back-end work for us on the creative side of things or even developing images. CG. CGI is one that makes a lot of sense. Why, mm-hmm. why can't we one day tell a computer, I want a CG 3D rendering of this watch or this necklace? Mm-hmm. Right, that, that I think that's going to be, if it doesn't already exist, uh, that is a pretty easy no-brainer, uh, just because it's a it's a computer doing computers work,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to be really exciting once once that happens.
2: Yeah, I was I was, was watching um, a video yesterday around Adobe. I don't know whether it's a beta. It's it's this a private beta version of Adobe, but it had Chat GPT type prompts on every aspect of an image. So if I wanted to change my hat and you know, say I was wearing a hat or I was not even wearing a hat, I could just hover over the head, my head in 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 a in a video or a or an image actually and I could just say put a red hat on 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 um, prospect or and then it will it will and then you could so say no make it a bowler hat oh no you know that sort of thing. It, it was really 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 intuitive. It was, there were some hits and misses. Well, I found that really accurate and convincing. Um, yes, there are video editing apps out there for sure, for sure. Out of curiosity, this AI software that changes images to animation, do you know the name of it?
0: Uh, I, I don't actually. Um, I can find out.
2: I'll pick Probably it up from you official, and then we'll add it to the show notes. Um, I will no. ask
0: and then, yeah, we can add it to the show notes or yeah. someone can reach yeah. out, DM me or something.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um another thing I'm 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 finding very very interesting with with AI is just throwing in a tone of, the tone of voice of a brand just throwing that in completely like giving feeding AI like a 1000 words I'm speaking to ChatGPT and then asking it for a hook um as you said earlier the 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 more sort of data AI has you know for you from you the the more accurate it would spit out um yeah, it's it's just so powerful. As in the 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 opportunity with with AI and the speed it's it's giving your team. Yeah, um, to to to, to roll out iterations and stuff like that. Um, even for this podcast, um, very lately I've been sort of throwing in the transcript into ChatGPT and Bard, Google Bard. And um, then asking it to to do all sorts of stuff, you know, whether it's summaries, whether it's, you know, what are the key points, you know, picking out the key mm-hmm. points and then giving that to the video editors to to figure out for our shorts, videos and all of that. It's just, it, it is, you know, um, I, I just, I'm a huge fan of VI at this point in time. Okay. Um, another question I had was a conversation I actually having on Twitter earlier on. Um, it was with Roman, who's the, um, co-founder of Linja. He's going to be on the podcast again. They've, they've been on the podcast before and I think he has another brand called Raycon. That's like a $50 million brand. He's coming on the show fairly soon. We've we've had a few hitches with him coming on the show, but he asked a question, um, a very open-ended question, and it was um, more around retargeting. Um, so what percentage of your, 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 your account budget do you do you allocate to retargeting if if at all, you know, given the fact that, you know, Advantage Plus um is is really a retar- it's a very efficient retargeting, you know, um, you know, um system within within Meta. So so I'd be curious to know um what your focus is and budget allocation on, on retargeting.
1: Yeah. I'm a 0% guy. Uh, I don't allocate anything to retargeting. Uh, everything I do is just, you know, broad audiences and and keep it at the top and let Facebook go out there or whatever platform it is, go out there and decide who to spend those dollars on. There's, there's no way. I mean, there's a lot of smart media buyers out there, but there's no way we're smart enough to pick exactly what it should be doing by saying like, Hmm. this is who like, we used to bust it out of like seven day, you know, seven day ad to cards, thirty-day ad cards, ninety-day ad to cards. Everybody mm-hmm. remembers those days, but but there's no way that now at this point with how much data is in the back end of Meta that we're gonna come in and say, hey, this is like the best audience you should go retarget. We just leave it open now. We just leave it open, folks on the creative testing to keep pumping uh, numbers in there. The other thing is too, is people have to look at things as like holistically, that omni channel. The more Mm -hmm. people we can just get to the site, the better off you're going to be long term. Um, It's not Mm -hmm. always about like trying to get that second dollar or third dollar immediately today. Uh, I feel like sometimes you can lose the balance. Like when people retarget, you can you lose the balance in an account. So if you're retargeting to like at a three and a half ROAS, people just keep raising those budgets and raising those budgets. But you also have to realize Mm -hmm. you're burning the funnel too. You're like it's like it's Mm -hmm. just like when you run a sale. And, you know, you burn the mm-hmm. funnel out and then you got to rebuild the funnel. It's the same thing. There's this, mm-hmm. this fine balance for you to try to figure out in the account. And I'd rather just leave that to Meta uh, where we focus on the creative testing and, and better uh, account structure and things like that.
2: I, I don't think anybody has ever um, expressed the concept of a sale the way you just did, which is like you burn a funnel out. I think that was pretty cool. I think that was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, it's, so it's, it's talk- true. As soon as
1: you burn, <laughs> go ahead. You're good.
2: Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's apt. It's apt. It, it is true. You, you burn, you burn a funnel and you need to rebuild it, you know. Exactly. Um, which, which, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apps, um, AppStack. I really want to talk about AppStack. Your your AppStack. Your go-to AppStack. What what you recommend to to the audience um, from from that perspective, and also, what is your dashboard? You know, um, Facebook. If we are to sort of liken it to to to, to a dashboard in a car you you will not drive well <laughs> simply you you will your you you your speed limit you you will um essentially break some speed limits as in if you go by the dashboard in in you know on facebook you might be slow in certain roads um you might not know when you run out of fuel you know when you look at yeah. metas um you know dashboard is that still correct as you know um speaking to to you as an expert um if it's not what do you lean on and um, just blow up your, your app stack to, to us, please?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, Facebook's still, still good with high level metrics. I still look at the majority of things there, click through rate, cost per link click, all of those things are still going to be legitimate. Uh, Thumb stop ratio, which we talked about earlier. uh, You know, that's still legitimate inside Mm -hmm. of that. It's a custom metric you have to make, but all of those things are still there. Now, as far as attribution, that's where we start getting lost uh, in media buying nowadays, and so you have so many third-party attribution tools, such as uh, you know Triple Whale, everybody knows of Northbeam, you know High roast, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I've used all of them, and I would say I don't know if they want to hear this, but I'm going to be you know straightforward here. I think they're all pretty similar as far as attribution. I don't think anyone's pixels ten times better than the other person's pixel. It may pick up you know a couple more purchases. Somebody's might. But, but you still have the North Star here. They're all still pointing towards this ad is doing the best or this ad is not doing the best. And so all you need nowadays is to kind of have, like you were talking about, you know, you're know, you steering or driving the car or whatever like that. You just need to know which way the road needs to go. Like you turn it left or you turn it right um, and when to brake and when to hit the gas. That's all you need nowadays for the most part. Um, and so all of those tools work really well. I think Northbeam goes uh, goes pretty far and in depth of like you know lifetime value and things like that of how long it takes for someone to convert. But then on the flip side, you have Triple Whale, who's more data aggregation. Uh, they take all your platforms, put it in there, and you can see net profit by the minute of uh, you know for your business, which is pretty incredible. So it's it's come a long way from the spreadsheets and uh, you know Google Analytics that we used to run off of. So those are the main ones for Media Buying. But as far as like e-commerce, I could go into a tech stack that's, you know, there's a lot of things as far as like an e-commerce business, but media buying, I don't think it needs to be as like complex or convoluted that some people make it, um, you mm. know, you just need and,
2: good and how, how critical is, is proprietary software in, 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 in the media buying world?
1: At the top levels, it's it's what's going to make or break you, Um, you know, getting a company to nine figures, I think, is way more difficult than it used to be. You know, the brand is obviously very important, but tech is what's really driving the game here from the creative standpoint. uh, You need, you know, fabulous people, but you also need good good tech to analyze these things. And then also on the media buying standpoint, um, like we talked about a couple of times is events manager scores and things like that. You know, a lot of people don't even know mm-hmm. what events manager scores are diving into those and, and things of how much data is getting pushed back into Facebook for you to optimize off of. Most people, mm-hmm. if they look at like their page view events. Uh, they're usually sitting at like, you know, 20 to 25 percent of their page view events are pushed back into Facebook. We usually have our clients sitting around 98 to 99 percent within, you know, 90 to 120 days. And that's proprietary. That's working. Uh, for us, and that's what helps us grow. We're able to feed that data and continue to optimize off of that. Where most people are losing seventy five percent of that data that they're paying for.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. That, that that is that's that's a very 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 poignant point. Um, so so thanks for for, for bringing it in. Um, so it, it it reminds me of um, you know um, when you're into cycling or triathlons. Yes, you you should be you should perform, you know, as an athlete, but, but, you know, um, parts of your success is, is dependent on, on the bikes you, you choose on the gear, you, you decide to choose on obviously the team. So, um, super interesting there, um, insights on, on event management. Right. Um, is there, is there anything we haven't covered uh, just, just about to wrap this conversation which, which I've thoroughly enjoyed by the way, because, because there are two perspectives, you know, normally there's, there's just mm. one perspective, right? Um Thank you. yeah is is there anything you, you you think we should we should talk about that that haven't really um you know covered just yet
0: Yeah let let me first ask you this most of your listeners mm-hmm. what what types of roles are they serving and what size company is, is most of the audience. Maybe I can give you an answer. So, so,
2: so, so the, the people who, who reach out to me directly, they, they're they either operators or they're working for operators that are like 10 million plus. So they, they, they tend to be like Shopify plus merchants. Um, most of the ones who stick around for who stock around for, for, for a bit of time. Got it.
0: Got it. Yeah, I, I think one thing that I'll share for people who are, are hitting a glass ceiling at that stage I think that there, there are a few things that you really need to look deeply into. One, product market fit. Right? Am I really doing something different? Is my product at a good enough price point, high enough quality where this is this is really scalable? And I think that's that's number one because no advertising channel, no creative will really matter at the end of the day if you don't have good enough product market fit. You you might hit a glass ceiling. If you have that, the second thing that I think is is a misconception right now that that, the best brands in the world, they're still finding a ton of success on meta and they're still scaling on meta. The the landscape has changed and the problem is a lot of people are still using 2015, 2016 strategies pre-iOS 14, pre-COVID, right? And those strategies just don't work anymore. And so I think it's important that you look at the brands that are doing really well still you reverse engineer what they're doing, especially on the creative front. But then you also say, okay, what do we lose with iOS 14? Uh, Like Tori just touched on tracking, right? How do we fix that problem? How do we solve that problem? How do we get our event matching scores from 20% to 90%, right? If you're able to solve those problems, then you don't have an iOS problem. You, You know, it's different, but at the same time you are solving the problems that are keeping you from scaling and keeping you from growing. And so I think that it's a misconception that Facebook doesn't work or, or people can't scale in this environment. And for every brand that you show me that isn't scaling, I'll show you one that is. So I think that's often an excuse. Um, and you know I, I can find you a handful of success stories, people who are mm. absolutely crushing it right now. And so I, I think that uh, everybody has that opportunity still.
2: Hmm. fair fair point on on um on, on differentiation and, and that product market fit to 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 really 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 um you know um open up that 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 runway you know um for, for you to to grow the scale scalability runway right chaps um it's, it's been, it's been a, a, a pleasure, you know, having, having you both in, um, for people who want to find out more, you know, about your, 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 your company dream lab, dream, dream labs or agency rather it's dream labs, com. Um, are either of you active on any social platforms professionally?
0: Yeah, we're, we're active on Instagram and Twitter.
2: Um, okay.
0: Yeah. So maybe you can put the handles we'll, in the show we'll, notes. We'll
2: link, we'll link, we'll link, we'll link to, 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 to your website and your social handles yeah. in, in the show notes. Um, what else can I say? LinkedIn um, as well. I, and LinkedIn. Yeah. I, I just, I've actually added you literally as we're speaking awesome. on LinkedIn. Um, so great stuff. Look, I'm I'm going to keep in touch, you know, um, you know, continue to, 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 to watch your work, you know, um, yeah, we're, we're onto something. And, you know, I really love your ambition, the, the caliber of brands you've worked with in the past and and the ones you're supporting now. Um, it's been a privilege speaking with you, you both. Um, thank you for coming on the 2X eCommerce podcast.
1: Thank you, Kunle. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Cheers.